Balance your trading strategy by adding futures. CME Group helps you manage risk and capture opportunities in all market environments. Capitalize on around-the-clock access to highly liquid global futures and options market across all major asset classes. Just visit your online broker and get started. Plug into valuable educational materials and trading tools and see what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash on the tape. iConnections is the world's largest capital introduction platform in the alternative investment industry. iConnections membership only platform brings together the asset management community, providing allocators and managers with the opportunity to connect both physically and virtually. With an impressive network of over 4,000 allocators and 900 managers, their community oversees an astounding $48 trillion and $16 trillion in assets, respectively. iConnections is also the driving force behind the alternative investment industry's most renowned in-person events. We invite you to join iConnections at their upcoming event, Salt iConnections in New York, taking place on May 20th through the 21st at the Glass House in New York City. This two-day event is packed with one-on-one cap intro meetings and content. To explore more about iConnections events and gain access to their members-only platform, visit iConnections.io. So let me set the stage yeah, for you. set it. Um, typically, when we do the On The Tape podcast, I see Danny Moses. Sometimes I see him in person. Sometimes I see him through the computer. That's a video, they call that. And he usually has in front of him reams of notes, copious notes, I walk into our studio today. Danny is IRL. They call that in real life. <laughs> and will be very soon for months on end. Yes. He summers in this area. Is that yeah, what people well, say? You well, are, you know. All I know is on, I the, leave. On, the, on, the Tony, on the Tony Beach coast all I know of, is of this. Ca- Connecticut. No. Yeah. I left figuratively, literally, a path of destruction. Did you see the rain in Fort Lauderdale? <laughs> I took off from Fort Lauderdale Airport two days ago. You know, I don't have great luck with the flying. Oh, no. 25 inches of rain in that's, one day. That's it. No, that's impossible. Five inches of rain. My car's gone. It, that's fine. I don't really care. I don't, I'm going to stay up here for good. There's nothing left. Yeah, 25 inches of rain. Anyway, continue. Well, you're here. I'm here. And By guys the way, recognize the fact that no, we... But I want to set yeah. this up. By the way, yeah, you are. this <laughs> is the On The Tape podcast. I am Guy Adami. The aforementioned Danny Moses I'm going to be IRL. off the tape all day. I'm going to be off. I'm just letting you know right okay, now. Okay, no, that's I am, fine. I am, it's not even tweaked. It's just disjointed. So this is Thursday. It's 3.20. Yeah. We're, we're going into the close. And Dan Nathan. Yeah, hi. Um, hi. And and Danny's going to be on with us on Fast Money in about yeah, an hour and a half. I better get be my amazing. shit together. I better get my really? shit together. Are you a little nervous? No, so, I could go off the rails, actually. Really? No, which yes. is oh, that would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So let me just explain what's going on here with the aforementioned <laughs> Danny Moses. As I mentioned, he typically has reams of notes. So I walk in here today, Nothing. and he's sitting at the table by himself. He looked like Don Finucci from Godfather <laughs> 2. He's drinking an espresso, and he's got this oh, little the beginning pad. of the wedding? In the, out no, in t- that's in Godfather 1. Don uh, Finucci is the black hand, Godfather 2. If oh, you yeah, recall, yeah. he asked Robert De Niro to come see him. De Niro's going to give him some money. He's yeah. drinking his espresso. That's Danny Moses here. And I'm looking at this pad of paper, and it's got basically a little header. It says, Pros and cons. What does that say? This I, is says rate cut. You're, you're there's only cons. There's yeah, only no, cons. I have. I. It's the same thing I wrote on pro and con. It's a rate cut in September is a pro and a con because if you're cutting in September, it's a it's shit is breaking. Right. Like there's no way. And then my pro is inflation's coming down. My con is inflation's coming right. down. And inflation's coming down because things are slowing down. So I can't come up 
with any reason. And I'm not upset that the market's rallying again, that it's 41.40 now as we sit here, right. approaching the year high of 41.80, which I don't think we, I still believe I'm going to stand firm that we probably won't get there. But tomorrow's going to be, no question. I said it earlier in the week on our market call. This is the most important earnings that we've had in, I think, 13 years, to so, be honest. So Don Fanucci, notwithstanding, I think that was uh, Gaston Moskin, I believe it was his name. How I mean, do you that's do a this? great poll by me. That's 1970. You, and this uh, for those people, we are in real life. I always thought when I'm down in Florida taping on the camera, the guy has something in front of him. There is nothing in front There's of him. There's never anything. Where so you wait, pulled that from wait, wait, who's the, wait, but, but Godfather won, so I just conflated the two. Yeah, and I'm sorry about that. But but the guy who's like reading the notes, he's waiting to go see Don Corleone. No, that, no that's, but that's what, also what Danny might be doing won, before he Fast be. Money. By the way, yeah. I can't think of his name, but that's your Luca Brasi. Yeah. That's Luca yeah. Brasi. Yeah. That Danny is not Luca Swims Brasi. With the fishes. I'm going to jump in the Hudson River. All right, so 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 all right, so you're. Apoplectic is, is it's not even right. apoplectic. No, I am just you yeah. know. Let's just think about what we had this week. We had CPI, we had Fed minutes, we had PPI. Markets partying right okay, now. Okay, so CPI, yeah. by the way, still five percent. Fine, yeah, it's coming down. Come, yes, it is. We all thought it would come down. Yeah. It still has a five handle. Yep, number one. You know what else has a five handle? Fed funds. Thank you. That's an excellent oh, job. Oh, is that what you were going to no, do? No, 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 no. So I, no, I so, appreciate so we got, that. We got fives. We got we got double fives. We got double nickels as they as they sure say they in the say business. That. You okay. know what that is. What is it? In craps? What? Hard 10. You know what else they call that when you're <laughs> sitting at the uh, craps They table? don't call it boxcars. They call it a big dick. Pardon me? What? Right, I don't so know just if I could you know, yeah. wait, are we going to turn into the all-in podcast right now? Why is that? Oh, okay. that's right. I don't want to. I don't no, want to. You want to go there? No, I don't want to. What is the all-in podcast? That's the, uh, well, first of all, it's Chamath. It's, uh, it's You know what a hard the, six the is in craps? Yeah. It's a Brooklyn forest. Yeah. Two trees. You know what? You know what a hard four Two is. Trees. Yeah. You're bringing okay. back the wide bush. It's yes. a little. It's a little Joe. Yeah. That's a hard That's right. four. That's right. All right. So we're already off the rails. We're only a few minutes. No, in. I, so I, we had the CPI, we had the PPI, we had the Fed minutes, and tomorrow morning we have the all important. We have the bank earnings bank that are going to get kicked off. So by the time people are listening to this, good chance banks yeah. have reported. But let me just say this quickly. And Danny, <laughs> you might have views. I'm sure you have views. I have posited, which is a term I often use, that CPI is a gauge of inflation. Yet PPI is a gauge of the economy. So this, to me, sets up exactly the situation, the scenario that you've been talking about. We still have very high inflation in the form of CPI, but right before our feet, underneath our feet, the economy is breaking down in the form of PPI. That number was an unmitigated disaster, and when you couple that with the ISM numbers we've seen, Things are happening extraordinarily so quickly. Is the economic ground moving below our feet? And to Danny's point, if Fed cuts are being priced in right now for the fall, that would mean that the economy is doing something that really won't be supportive of S and P earnings. Is yes, that what's Dan, going I on? I think that's it. And to say it's north of, <laughs> wow. to, we'd be, and we effectively, I that's believe, your, that's your come to the center stage voice. Yeah. can you say that? Let's welcome it. PPI, CPI front stage, fellas. Get your calendars. I know it's April, but, but the Fed's coming up in May. But you've been saying yeah. this for a while, Danny. Though that at some point the Fed is going to be off the table, right? So we hit this. I think kind it's of now. 5%. I actually yeah. think it's yeah. right now. But actually, May third is the next meeting. No, I think yeah. we. I think we are going to transition. Tomorrow, the transition begins with the earnings from the banks. Yeah. And because we've already solidified these rate hikes. And if it's 25 bips more and done, so be it. But the damage, if you want to call it, has been done. And let's see. Now I think it's going to focus on real economy. Because to the banks, they've, had, they've, they've already basically taken the pain, for the most part, mm -hmm. in terms of switching deposits around within a bank, right? Interest-bearing to not non-interest bearing to interest bearing, right? And that hurts the bank's margin. It hurts your net, net interest income. I I agree with it. What's but, interesting about that, and I want you to continue that thought. Yeah. So 
Yes, I do believe that's true. A lot of these banks have taken the pain. Sheila Bear came on CNBC's Fast Money, I think, earlier this week or last week. I apologize. She thinks, which I do as well, there are more to come in terms of the banks. Warren Buffett, who everybody bows at the altar of, suggested in Tokyo with Becky Quick that he sees other banks going down the same road. So they might have taken the pipe, as they say, but there's more to Here, come in terms right. of this movie. So for 13 years, we've had a Fed put, right? Yes. Okay. So for the last six weeks, we have a Treasury put or an FDIC put, mm -hmm. right? We know if there's another large bank that's in trouble, the next move by Yellen and the Fed is to guarantee all deposits. It is. Let's not kid ourselves. That will be the move. That's already, I believe, built into the market. So now it becomes... Forget about a bank surviving, what they can do. What is the bank worth? What do their earnings look mm -hmm. like? What's the return on equity, their ROE, right? What's their book value? Does it matter? And I think we're about to shift from cataclysmic or banks going out of business to, okay, well, the Wall Street banks have very little IPOs and M&A, right, right, activity. The commercial real estate loans, which matter a lot to the regionals, right, which are on the on the books, is not going to get any better. The CNI loan, commercial, and industrial loan books only have one direction to go. This is, it's, not, it's not horrible. And then- Consumer credit, it's going to get worse. So are these companies? So now I believe we're going to transition from the banks are all going out of business to okay, the banks are going to manage through it. But what are they worth? And that's the beginning, I believe, of the fundamental bottom-up analysis and stock picking. And I'll go even one step further than that. The biggest thing to me is the reset of credit over the next call it one to three years. Right, the zombie companies that never should have even gotten a piece of paper that they got that we've talked about that are coming up for refinancing that are coming. A lot of companies, so the way we call it a stock picker's market, it's going to be a bond picker's mm -hmm. market. When I say bonds, I'm talking credit, everything across fixed income, right? So people are going to start to look at companies that way, and it's going to be different. And I think that lost art is coming back to a theater. Well, and uh, and so, you know, it's funny, yeah. though. You know, I, I was actually in an Uber the other day, and, and the guy is a Fast Money fan. He's, he loves Guy Dami. I'm probably his least favorite Fast Money That's trader. No, it happens. Um, and, you know, it's interesting. He used this expression, and I loved hearing it from it. He's like, listen, this market's really hard. I'm waiting for it to come back down. I want to kind of buy some stocks. He's like, you know, two years ago, you could have thrown a dart and made money. And, and that psychology, I think, is one of the reasons why this year, out of the gate, we we just started getting off. People were just done being bearish, right? They wanted to buy things again. And so I, I'm less, um, I actually think, Danny, before it becomes a stock picker's market again, we need to actually have a big flush in the market. Okay? No, I agree. Like, so like there needs to be some fear placed at it. Because right now, again, you know, we have a VIX that's trading 18. Okay. It's actually below 18 mm -hmm. right now. It's 17.95. And that's just speaking to the, and even the move index, which we've quoted on yeah. numerous occasions, bond the volatility. spread between the bond volatility and the equity volatility, that is actually compressing because the bond volatility is coming in. All that being said, some of the moves, when that CPI print came out, that was in line. Okay. That was in line on Wednesday morning. The two year yield went from 4.07 to 3.87 in a straight line. Equity futures ripped. And now we're seeing the move index, we're seeing that come in. Despite the fact that the volatility bands in the Treasury market have actually widened over the last couple of weeks, despite the fact that we've seen some of the equity measures moderate, we've seen the KRE kind of, you know, this is a regional banking index. We've seen Schwab. We've seen these things kind of settle down, at least from a volatility standpoint. So we're seeing bond volatility come in equity volatility melt, that's a really nasty setup. So to me, I don't think you can start picking stocks again until we see that multiple compress, the thing that we saw expand for no good reason over the last few months. Fed minutes only reinforce what we saw on the dot plot and in the press conference. So I love when the, they pull, you know, the algos will pull something like, oh, they're predicting a mild recession. So that's a positive because the Fed's going to stop sooner. But this market is not priced for that. 
obviously at all. And Dan, when I say stock picking, again, keep in mind, and this has been going on all year, this chase, if you're a long only mutual fund manager managing billions of dollars, you have to allocate, you can't stay in cash. Yep. So you have to pick stocks within various sectors. And I believe that, you know, the large banks that are the safe ones are obviously going to, the same way we've seen in tech, right? Just there's safety in numbers and the people feel like, oh, I'm not going to get blown up in some of these names. I think banks will do that as well. And I think we're going to go through a shuffle of money moving around within that sector. And I think we're going to get a very clear picture. So when I say stock picking, I'm conjoining that with the market probably coming down and then yeah. picking up what you want to purchase within that. Well, just large banks would be a great example of that because, again, by the time you're listening to this, you're going to already know what J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, Citibank, and, and maybe a cup PNC I think is out tomorrow morning. And if there are any issues, like, you know, like think about a year ago, J.P. Morgan got nailed. It was one of the first banks to start getting hit because the expenses were going up faster, right, than revenues. And we know that, like, a lot of, like, the focus on net interest margins, the those financial activities and in investment banking was falling off a cliff and that sort of stuff. So, like, might there be some really good opportunities on valuation? I'll just say this. Yeah, but from lower levels. I mean, mm -hmm. JP Morgan's only down 10 or so percent if there's any issues. But if the if they're basically the reports are there no big issues, but they still remain cautious, are you going out there and buying the banks? Like, I don't think so at this point. I mean, like, I, I don't know, guy. I mean, like, is that something that you want to do? Not in this environment. As I said, and I don't, I'm not suggesting I'm right, but the interest rates could go back to zero. But credit, you know, credit standards, credit tightness is going not only remain, but it's going to get worse. So there's going to be less credit around. Banks' ability to make money in this environment, I think, goes lower. And the multiple you pay for banks, by definition, should go down. So this whole price-to-book thing, you have to start asking yourself, what is the proper book value in this environment for a lot of these stocks? I would submit, and I'm fascinated by this, I think there's a really good chance that you start seeing book value go down, trend lower when these companies report earnings. So JP Morgan trades right now 1.8 times tangible book value, mm -hmm. which is really what you should use, mm -hmm. right? The worst it got in the crisis was down to one times, roughly. It may have gone under a bit, but that's kind of where it Wait, went during the, the financial GFC. crisis. Yeah. 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 And so 1.8 is not crazy high as long as you're earning some type of ROE off of it. I look at Morgan Stanley, which is trading north of two times book, right? And I look at their businesses. They're exposed in a lot of different places. They're exposed on the private client side of people buying treasuries and moving them out of their checking account, so to speak, on the high net worth area, right? They're exposed on the IPO calendar mm -hmm. on M&A. That one's hard to kind of, I would not be long that. I'm not saying you have to go out and run yeah. and short that, but to me, there are very sensitive, both Wall Street sensitivity and economic sensitivity. And then they have the, obviously the retail brokerage arm as well that to me are pretty vulnerable. Am I going and buying a Morgan Stanley here at two times book? No, I I'm, don't I'm not so going to do it. I'd rather own Goldman at one point two times tangible book than a, than a, so you have all these pairs trades set up, people, you know, long something, short something within the group. That's kind of how these people, but let me say this about the banks and people are like, oh, you banks, the banks are the driver of the entire economy. That the, the system is financialized. It's the most important sector that there is. They have been the ones that have driven this thing. Money's been free. They've been giving loans to everybody. Well, they're pulling that in now. And that's what I meant when I said, yeah. are the same companies that were able to get credit, right? Price at a ridiculously low price at a tight spread two years ago, going to be able to come around again? The answer is no. no. So what does that look like? It means that the banks are going to be fine, but they're not. So their loan growth slows down. Mm -hmm. And so, so anyway, we could go on and on, but I think this is really important. And I know I always say Q's, K's, read all this stuff. <laughs> These are Q's because they're quarters that are going to get reported. Read through them if you want to learn, uh, you know, about what's happening in credit. And are these companies, the consumer facing banks, the Wells Fargo Bank Americas, 
reserved appropriately for maybe may coming. Real quickly on banks, um, Jim Bianco, Bianco Research, sure. who often comes on uh, Fast Money, and hopefully he's going to join us soon. I think JB. AD is efforting it um, for the podcast. That's had, Amanda Diaz. Yes, it is. He had a tweet thread out this morning talking about the uh, – here, here, this is great. We'll put it in the show notes. Here are the last 15 years of total return performance the S&P 500 um, and its 11 sectors. Um, and he's really talking about um, the blue is the largest industry within the financials, the banks, dividends included. They have barely returned turned more than 0% over the last half a generation, way behind everybody else. Mm -hmm. So when you see like a, a data like that, and we'll put it, and you can see it for yourself, and you see it versus the other sectors, you say to yourself, we're sitting here now in the wake of this mini financial crisis that we had among regionals. We have no idea how this plays out over the course of this year, especially to your point about if there are defaults in credit. And, and you know what I mean? Like if you think about what a, a, a recession, even a soft landing recession might do, these banks, they're just not interesting. They're only only interesting if you think the economy is inflecting the way the NASDAQ is kind of telling us right now, at least I don't buy it, you guys don't buy it, the NASDAQ's telling you something different because right now the NDX, the NASDAQ 100 is up 20% on the year after being down 33% or something like that. It feels like we're out of the woods. And I just want to make one last point as we think about, we get by the bank earnings in about a week from now, right? And then we're going to be focused on these large technology companies and we're going to be, you know, industrials and, and the like. And we've already had, and maybe you have two cents on this, is what the airlines had to say because mm -hmm. people are really optimistic into the summer season and you saw what American and Delta had to say no bueno but here is this is um, from our main man you know him Butters John Butters over there JB, at JB at Butter, hashtag Butters hashtag Butters um, he's a senior earnings insight analyst over here but S&P is expected to report year over year earnings declines of 6.8% for Q1 2023 which would be the largest decline since Q2 of 2020 um, they were down 32% that year but that was in the throes of the um, pandemic and we did not know what was going on. And one of the things I think is really interesting about this is that we've seen this over the course of the last year, that over the course of the quarter, we've seen estimates come down, right? And so now we have a situation where we're going to have the largest decrease, almost 7% expected, who knows if it's better or worse. But when you finally, let's say if you're one of these companies and you start reporting better, do you get rewarded for that, Danny? Like that's kind of the point because a lot of the hard work has already been done with low expectations. Yeah. I think the, like I said, I think things will start to separate now. Survival of the fittest. Cameron Dawson, as I said on Monday, had a great note out last Friday talking about that exact thing. Is yeah. like earnings are going to be down for the S&P. You've already had 106 companies of the 500 are already guided down, already going into this. So you will have some companies that will beat expectations. But I have another axe to grind. Oh, here. I, like, oh. I like that. So this whole uh, this, talk you're about... You're looking at me when you say that. <laughs> I, don't, I just This whole talk about mild recession, major... Let me let me just say, hold on. I, I, I please, because I got some thoughts <laughs> on this too. People forget what it actually feels like yeah. to go through, and it feels now we've had this kind of rolling recession has occurred in various, but nothing significant, right? But you're starting to see on the industrial side things are slowing down, backlogs are draining. Yes, orders are are coming in, but things are slowing down, right? The delta is slowing down on orders, and so when that happens, and when that comes in on the top of the job cuts, we've already started to see in tech land, and it's all kind of coming together, right? I don't think people. I, I think they're fantasizing if they think we're going to get to that point. The way how fickle this market is and how people react to every data point, and every, they're going to overreact to the downside when it's very clear that the wheels are in motion and no one's – they'll beg the Fed, but it won't matter at mm -hmm. that point because this is 13 years, I say it again, of an unwind. It just doesn't fix itself. And again, let's talk about QE and QT, which I haven't looked at the most recent uh, – maybe Dan, while I'm looking at this, can look at what the Fed balance sheet registered you know, in the last 24 hours. It's probably still on 85 $8.6 trillion. I still believe that we're kind of done there with this quantitative tightening. So that'll be the 
one of the arms I think that the it's Fed can done out. before we even started. Yeah, and it's interesting in terms of the Fed minutes that came out. Great Tom Petty album. I think you're a Petty person. I love Petty. Damn the Games torpedoes, if you recall. Of course. I mean, that's actually from a true saying. Damn the torpedoes, full speed ahead. Are like, you doing free falling right now? Are you no, I, to... I'm not going to do that. What okay. I was going to say was, <laughs> if you listen to what these cats said, they're like, we acknowledge that what's going on in the banking arena, given the given the fallout from Silicon Valley and some of these other banks, will probably cause a mild recession. That's what they said. But they hiked by 25 basis points anyway last meeting. And my point in saying that is. They realize what they're about to do. They're telling people what's going to happen. The market's choosing not to, at 4150, the S&P is choosing not to listen. Now, I'll also say this. I have no idea what generates buy orders or stuff. We've talked about passive investing forever. This environment is really scary. The fact that stocks are moving like they are. We had an Apple headline. I understand that PCs are not a big part of Apple. I totally get it. Down 40%. Four zero percent. I think the range for most companies was anywhere from twenty to thirty percent. So Apple was obviously lagging yeah. their peers. It's a smartphone company. I get it. There was a Microsoft note out earlier this week by an analyst. They said, "Guess what? Their cloud is going to slow." Didn't seem to matter. So you have all these people trying to warn you. The stock market is saying, "We don't care." Damn the torpedoes, Danny. Full speed ahead. I was going to do a petty because obviously do there's it. a lot of in there. Do it. No. Yeah. I can't. I, I'm gonna do it in you a few what, minutes. You know what? He's not feeling yeah. it. So, so yeah. real quickly on the Fed balance sheet, yeah, what do we got? Um, got down to eight three five trillion. That's what the T I know that people. was months. No, no, no. Well, I'm just keep listen, going. But it, but Danny, in a month, it's gone from eight three five to eight seven. Yeah, okay, it's like, back to eight seven yeah, again. Eight six five or something. Yeah, but, so it hasn't but, moved in the last but, week. Yeah, I know, but my, yeah. you you get my point yeah. here. Okay. Um, the other thing I want to say really quickly. Listen, I actually think. The Fed is going to raise May 3rd by 25 basis points because you made this point, I think, yesterday on Fast Money. I mean, the unemployment rate ticked down, right? It's at 3.5%. I think that's the thing that they're still a bit worried about in, in wage no you know, stickiness. Okay, but again, we can debate that. What I think is really interesting about the first week of May is that meetings on May 3rd, but we have the all-important April jobs report on May 5. You know yeah. what I mean? So, like, that's going to – and Cinco de Mayo. You got anything for Cinco de Mayo? Kentucky Derby. Oh, sorry. But, but I figured, yeah. like, you got something there. Yeah, like, with keep the, going. With the Cinco. Okay. So that, that's going to be a really interesting week. And then I think the Fed is – then we're done with the Fed, right? Like, then we're really drilling down. Well, let me turn it on you. What if the Fed doesn't go on May 3rd? What happened we in these rip. two weeks? No. <laughs> what happened in these next two weeks coming up that would well, cause I don't know. the Fed I mean, not – no, I'm serious, not to go. And – Again, I'm so done with the Fed. It's so well. Let me know. ask you this: What if what if um, earnings that we get until that point? I think Apple reports on May fourth um, or May third or May fourth. What if uh, like all the earnings look pretty good? What if it makes it feel like? Hey, listen, if you're looking at the stock market and yeah. you're looking at what all these companies said, and you're the Fed, right? You're trying to kind of still slow things down a bit. You stay the course, you know. So if there's no disasters, and that was my point about expectations, they've come down. Stocks have gone up. If stocks don't sell off on in line to worse news, then we're off to the races, you know? And we've been tracking the charts in the S&P and the NASDAQ. They're like, the S&P's at that downtrend going back to January of uh, 2022. Mm -hmm. The NASDAQ is is at a level, at least the 100, at a level where it, it could fail right here or it could break so, so, out. So, so Dan, just put this back since yeah. you're the options guy. Yeah. Vol, you just said how cheap Vol is. Yeah. 
buying a straddle here for those people out that are looking seems to be what Dan is saying. He could off to the no, races. I, I, oh, I never not? suggest straddles. I mean, like, okay. I, 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 like, I think like for our listeners and for most people out there, the well, idea you just described of a buying volatility, like, like just pure vol, like we could go one way or the other. It's just not right, a way You just trade. described a situation. I'm saying no, we're what, at the what, moment. what I described a situation is that if you're long stocks and you don't want to sell, but you're kind of worried the idea of you're getting long vol if you were to buy an S&P put. Listen, Carter like, had like his chart up saying? this week, right? You've yeah. seen a couple of them. Mm -hmm. We are literally, the, the wall is closed. We're going to pick a direction here. And that's why I keep saying this is the inflection. And let's see what happens with the earnings. And listen, Dan, if the earnings are smooth and things are settling in a little bit and the outlooks are good, there's no reason the market can't make new highs for the year. And I don't think that'll happen, but it's certainly possible. Yeah, Eddie, let me just give you a little. Um, so right now, if we look at May 5th, okay, mm -hmm. so that's that Friday jobs report. And if I'm looking at the SPY, that's the ETF that tracks the S&P 500, it's trading about 413. If you were to take the 413 put and call on May 5th expiration, yes. okay, that's a weekly expiration. If you put the two of them together, Danny, you get your straddle, which is about Thirteen dollars. That's okay? a lot. So, well, so thirteen dollars. That's a three percent move in either direction. Okay, basically. but like, that's 6%. a lot. For, you know what? No, they, no. I, I'm well, saying, what I'm saying is, between now and then, I'm telling you, vol is cheap as chips. So, if you wanted to protect your portfolio right now, and it maps to the S and P 500, and you were worried about the Fed meeting on May 3rd, and you're worried about earnings that are going to go on between now and then, and then you're worried about that jobs report, if you wanted to buy an at the money put. In the S and P 500, the 413 put on May 5th expiration costs less than six dollars. That's like less than two percent. That is as cheap as it gets, people. I mean, so if you want to YOLO, if you want to like make any place your bets, people. That that's all I'm saying there. Get all up in there because we are going to move more than three and a half percent in either direction between now. And so I, so you just pitched my idea. Yeah, back but I to did me. it smartly. Okay, like, well, but, hold on, wait, hold on. You saw this whole thing. Uh, I right said, so what you're my saying is, eyes. is this how it works with Sarah? Because I, I would love to. Okay, <sighs> well, <laughs> that, that's going to take a bit longer. <laughs> hold on, and that costs about four fifty an hour. Okay? You, Danny, just, no, I just, like, Danny I just don't said understand you what just, straddle. No, no, and then Dan oh, said, because, I don't do straddle. Well, hold on a second. And then Danny said, okay, and then you looked at your machine. I talked about buying a put. Kidding. For for no, you said either, but you were saying either way. Either way, and if you're bullish. Buy the call, the 413. But my point is, is like buying them both and just hoping that we have a huge oh, move one way or okay. another. That's what you're doing when you're buying a straddle. When I you're understand. buying a call, um, well, you're hoping it goes up more than the price of the call. Thank you. You're buying a put, you're hoping that it goes down By more the than way, the price BLT, of the put. By the way, BLT, bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich. Just yeah. In case God, you're going to get back from hey, you know, bacon, bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich. We haven't our fabulous guest either. Not well, even I was waiting even for that. No, we're going to do that. Yeah, but, um, but yeah. I was, I, we were going to set that up. Yeah, but just, you know, in that conversation with Stephanie Rule, who is the host of the 11th hour, sure. we talk about a whole host of things. The debt ceiling, that could get kind of funky yep. in May, too, right? And right. we talk, there's a lot of we stuff. We said the stock market's not the economy, and she tries to help people on air. You know what? Realize it? You know what? You're bringing that up because you said that. And she's like, you know, I really like that you made that point, Danny. Well, yeah, we talked about a lot of stuff. Yeah, we talked about a lot of stuff. <laughs> we're going to tease that later, but uh, just, to, just to get that in there. I was going to say, um, in the college, I had to take a class called Poetry Drama. Fascinating class. Well, it wasn't poetry and drama? No, just poetry drama. Uh, any Robert Frost fans here? No. I am. We've used that title already. I know, but it all <laughs> leads to this, and yeah. I'm just going to set it up a little bit for you. All right, I'm ready. As dawn gives up today, nothing gold can stay. Except, as it turns out, the F and gold market. Because oh, let's go, guys. Oh, now we're together. It's it's off to the races. There it is. As sure we is. sit here, there yeah. it is. gold has been Gold gets it. Gold understands. Central banks, I have said this, Danny Moses, 
They understand what they've done. They're hedging their ineptitude. China is buying gold every single month. Last year, 2022, central banks bought 1,131 tons, $70 billion worth of gold, a record amount. Guess what? They're doing it again now. Gold is about to get through the all-time highs. Gold is on a collision course with a new big figure. And when I say new big figure, I ain't messing around. I'm talking about a three number in front of the three zeros. Because when hedge funds and real investors start getting involved, as Eddie Murphy said in the great movie, uh, I believe, coming not, not coming to America, it was the golden child. Oh, yeah. No floor here, Monty? Well, there ain't no ceiling here in the gold market. Listen, it's it. People are now buying gold miners. Look at those yes. stocks so, because now. But yes, is this just about the dollar though, Danny? No, no, no oh, it's not. You you did that to piss me off. I did. Yeah, I did. because I did. we had a television I, I, show I a couple weeks ago, and it. somebody said all of this is is a dollar. No, it's very, part of it. Very let me dismissively, give a, by the way. Let me give yes. a let me give a a little bit of a Bitcoin Ethereum shout. I mean, those things are fire. Are those things fire are, are moving? Those things. You're are the moving. only person who owns them anymore in my household is my daughter, my 19 year old daughter. She held. She was. She, she was. Held, she hodled. She hodled. Yeah. Um, let let's. But listen, yeah. Danny's right. Yeah. The miners are starting to. Sh- they're absolutely starting, and, and right. they have Nobody underperformed the underlying commodity for a long wow. time. Watch the catch up there, and quickly since we're on the subject. Earlier this week, we saw news out, and I don't think Exxon spoke about it or even acknowledged it, but ExxonMobil supposedly had interest in Pioneer Natural. So yep. Pioneer is the largest, one of the largest fracking shale place. First of all, no way this current administration would let that. It's not going to happen, I don't think. Second of all, this would probably be about a 65 to $70 billion deal, which Exxon could do. But that's got nothing to do with it. The fact that these companies, the news is out there, and these energy companies have the wherewithal, and we're in that kind of environment, I think speaks volumes as to the underlying strength of the energy sector, Danny Moses. Yeah, fundamentally, it's probably the strongest it's out there. So again, we'll see the quarters. We're going to see how strong these companies look. And we said at the beginning of the year, there's going to be M&A, and that's the sector it's going to be in. And if you're an investment banker, and you're looking through your sector, you're like, what, where are we going to generate revenue from in the bank? It's in the energy sector. It's the, quote, healthiest of them all. So I think we'll continue to see that no matter where oil is. And so, Well, so really interesting guy. Just explain this one time for um, mm-hmm. our audience here. So we talked about it on Fast Money last night. We are talking about the technicals in crude oil, and we've spent a lot of time oh, talking yes. about a recession, whether it's going to come, is it going to be long, is it going to be deep, is it going to be you know, shallow, is it even going to happen? And so you got the question, um, how can crude go from, it just went from 65 to 83, um, and it looks like if it breaks out, if it were to break out, and again, maybe this is a function of the dollar weakness and all that sort of stuff. But how can we have a recession here in crude oil? You know, going Go on its way to ninety or hundred or something like that. Because again, you know, it seems counterintuitive, but you got to you got to. There's supply demand imbalances still. We're at post we're at pre COVID levels in terms of demand. Now you'll say demand's going to destruct, not necessarily. Number two, look at quietly what's going on with the price of gasoline in this country. Nobody's talking about it because it doesn't behoove anybody. Gas is at levels we haven't seen in eight or nine months. Very quietly, gasoline going higher. We're coming into the summer driving season. Refiners, guess what? We haven't made a new refiner in this country since the early 1970s. They're at max capacity. The underlying commodities can go higher in a slowing economy. That's All it comes down to is supply-demand imbalances, which have been there all along, and we're starting to see it. 
We're seeing it in energy, and to a certain extent, it's completely different, but home builders as well. Yeah. Those stocks have done extraordinarily well against a backdrop where it makes zero sense, other than the fact is you still have supply-demand imbalance. So, so, Danny, this comes at a time where, obviously, it's a big input cost. Um, you saw what the airlines just had to say here. Are these guys good at hedging oil? I mean, like, like you, know, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. So my, my point is, is, like, crude could go higher, and it could be just a wrecking ball for, like, an economy that's on the tilt. I just want to hit a couple things here, you, you know. Uh, the macro alf, that's um, yeah. Alfonso uh, Pecatiello. Yeah. He's been on our pod before, well done. and he's really good. Um, and on April 10th, he tweeted, I expect the U.S. to be in a recession by June. Go look at um, all the comments in there. It's kind of oh, interesting, boy. lots of trolley sort of stuff. But you pointed this out. Our friend Tony Dwyer, also friend of the pod, um, and I want I want, to, I want your take on this, Danny, because you've known Tony really well. We've all known Tony for a long time, but he's over at Canaccord Genuity, and he's made this case on Fast Money. He's made it on our podcast recently. Um, we recently found um, out how quickly and aggressively liquidity and the need for money can affect the financial system and markets. The current, number one, U.S. Uh, Treasury yield curve inversions, conference board of leading e economic indicators, conf uh, commercial and industrial lending standards, and how the uh, employment trends index are all at levels associated with lower uh, being in a near recession since 1957. The SPX has never made the low before a recession even began. So the low in the S&P was in October, mm -hmm. right? Um, we are up now um, considerably from that. We're up 8% on the year. Talk to me about all those things that he's put together. And he had a great note out of this. And we'll the one I care most about, which I don't have in front of me, is the Employment Trends yeah. Index. Is that what it's called? Yeah. The ETI. Yeah. And that we tracks various buckets. And I think five of whatever are now turned negative. And when that happens and it goes to minus one or whatever ratio he's using, that's the thing that's going on right now. And that's why inflation is slowing because the Fed is – has doing their job to a degree. It comes at a cost. It's not just about taming inflation. What does that come with? It's a slowing economy. We've seen a rise in jobless claims. We've seen this start to occur. It's not gigantic, but the trend has definitely mm -hmm. reversed. The same way that inflation is trending higher, on a, uh, the same way that inflation is trending lower, economic data is starting to trend lower as well. And so, listen, Tony's always been very good, and he, he's, he speaks to the facts. And he'll take the facts, and it's not subjective. I believe it's objective. And I used to give him shit because 99, not 99%, most of the time he's bullish, but his <laughs> tactical calls have always been good. This is something different. You could, he could be wrong about this for a day or a week. We've seen what the market can do, make you know smart people look stupid. How you doing? Um, <laughs> I don't know if I'm even smart, but, but, the, but the, point is that, the point is that things like that are the long-term things that matter. Those trends don't yeah. just reverse. No. They don't just change on a dime. So thanks for pointing that out, and I think it's a worthwhile All note. Right, let's Tony do a couple favorite. things before we get out of here. Um, so pre-market on Monday, okay, is Charles Schwab. We Stop spent it. a lot of time talking about um, Schwab, and the stock is barely budged, Danny. It's trading like 52 bucks yeah, yeah, or yeah, something yeah. like that. Um, thoughts Sell there. Sorry, I'm just joking. Oh, my goodness. Well, hold on one second. No, I know what I'm talking yeah. It's interesting, you because in my mind, <laughs> when Danny said buckets, I'm sitting here saying, well, Charlie Bucket, of course, from Willy Wonka and the Charcoal course, Family, yeah. who was played by Jack Albertson, who was also in Chico and the Man. But right. I wasn't going to say that because right. but you, you know, did. Like, I only did it because you mentioned Charles Schwab. So once you said Charles, oh I'm like, well, God. I got to mention. Yeah. All right, All right. So, you, you set so, me so, off. So thoughts, I want to have less in Gobstopper, Daddy. <laughs> Go ahead. Th yeah. Thoughts there because is it like of all of the names that we've talked about, it seems like that is the one. I want on, the like, world. Large... I want the whole world. That's great. I want job you wrapped all up you. in my pocket. It's my bar of chocolate. Gene Wilder. Give it to me now. Was it, I don't think people yeah. understand the genius of Gene, Gene Wilder. Genius. All right. I have no opinion on Schwab here. What's going to happen is that um, the CEO, Bettinger, yeah. is going to be coached now on what he should be saying yeah. versus what he was blurting out like two or three weeks ago. So 
they have prided they have prided themselves on the fact that they haven't lost deposits. But what's going on in this last month is that investors and consumers are being educated mm -hmm. that it takes a phone call or a click to basically change your yield from 0.4% to 4%, right? Little on time. So Schwab will say we haven't lost. Okay, that's fine. But your net interest income and your NIM are going to suffer as a result of that. That's fine. The one thing that no one is accounting for, and Schwab stock will be okay on the margin if they're not forced to raise capital. And we'll, we could talk about the held to maturity versus available for sale and all that shit that goes on. I do believe they will have to raise capital. Is that we've had a stock market that's buoyed it. Because let's not kid ourselves. Charles Schwab, the most important input yeah. of all the things that people would look at from a macro basis are equity values yeah. because their assets are dependent on where the stock market. So you tell me, Dan, if the market, I would think the stock has massively underperformed in the sense of what this market has done, I believe, right? It's And, and it's probably accurately priced right now if people believe that they're going to kind of get through this and back to kind of, hold on, I'm not putting yeah. bullet, but yeah. four to 450 in earnings potentially next year. And yeah. it's not, but- I think there's going to be some rocky road ahead. It'll be a very interesting quarter. Just, sure. to, just to be really clear, so your yep. point about the net interest margins, so if people are moving from the 0.4% account to the 4% account, and you think about that contraction and net interest margins, there's no amount of trading by that um, by those customers that's going to make up for that. 4X, but, 400X. And, right, so, so the point really very clearly is is like they are so much more exposed to a, a, like a money center bank that has all these other businesses. And like, all right, so Guy, for you, I Thursday, like, oh, like pre-market. Blackstone. Okay, so when we're talking about what's on the other side of this situation, we talk about uh, commercial real estate yeah. exposure, and we talk about um, you know credit defaults, and we've already seen some of that. Okay, we've seen the gates that they put up. Um, this is going back to the fall. This is one I think that's on your radar. This is Thursday pre-open. It has to be. I mean, you've seen bounces in the stock a few times over the last couple months, but if you look at it, and I'm sure you probably have it up on your fact set machine, it's really gone nowhere. I mean, we bounced yeah. off the lows, but it's not like it's performing all that well. And they're, I don't want to say skeletons in the closet because that's the wrong phrase, but they obviously have some issues they have to work through. I mean, when the real estate, commercial real estate market was humming along, that stock participated like no other financial to the upside. When things started to go pear-shaped, specifically when Fed started raising rates and then the subsequent move in some of these things, that stock got cut in half. And it hasn't really recovered all that much. So, yeah, you got to watch it. But for the life of me, like many of these companies, I can't see what they could possibly say that's encouraging. Let me just say this. One of the greatest business models, this private equity, right? You're talking about 10-year locked-up money that's going to have a management fee whether you like it or not, right? So there are there is a consistent mm -hmm. part of that earning stream that people are willing to pay for, right? So great business model in that sense. I, I think it would take something. I'm not long or short the stock. I think it would take something on Blackstone that we're not seeing yet. And I don't think there's anything like that right now to really force the stock a lot lower. That being said, yeah. dead money, I think, at best. But think about what you guys just did. You just brought up two more financials. You could have picked anything. Of yeah. The companies are going to well, I have one. One more. Okay, but you chose Schwab and Blackstone. And again, it's so ingrained in our economy, yeah. these companies. It touches well, everything. I think, you know, yeah. if you're listening to this pod, you know, one of the things what we're trying to do is, like, like all of us are focused on what lies beneath here. And I think those are two really interesting names that could be the next leg of this, like, financial crisis that we experienced that's largely contained to regional banks. And the way the regional banks have traded since a handful of them have failed or backstopped 
is really bad. So to us, it's like it makes sense to extrapolate what are the next ones that might have problems, and that's why we're focused on these. All right, last one here on single names, and we got to get out of here in a second here. Um, Tesla Wednesday after the close, we already know what their Q1 deliveries were. One thing I think is really interesting is that they just announced another price cut. Okay, so right now they're cutting prices in all their major markets here. You know, I've read a bunch of the bulls. They think that this 86 consensus, uh, 86 cents consensus for Q1 is really potentially very light and it could be 96 or a dollar or something like that. So we know that they kind of were up sequentially 4% year over year in their deliveries, but it was below consensus for deliveries. We know that the prices are going to be a lower price point. So that means there's going to be margin pressure. I don't know how, if you're looking at a consensus estimate on facts out of 86 cents for the quarter, everything we know there that you're going so you, the to have a higher number. Folks, oh, Danny is uh, actually, some people can see this because we yeah. put it, Danny is contorting like his, like his, <laughs> The, it's amazing. No, like, I didn't know we were going to get to this today. Well, why so. wouldn't we? But it, it's, it's reporting you know, again, next week. And, and, and I just want to say this. I yeah. still think this is one of the worst-looking charts in the entire stock fine. market. But let's forget all that. Forget the chart. Yeah. It is a consumer-sensitive name. Yeah. The economy is going to slow. There's no way around it. It's trading at, what, 50 to 60 times earnings? At this point, I don't know what the two... It doesn't even matter is the point. So it is what it is. Let's see what the numbers that they put up. But you're right, Dan. It, you can forecast a lot of it, but they can mess around on the margin with what they actually report. So... All right, we should we do see. this? All right, listen, so here's here's the deal, right? So you guys are with us. We appreciate um, the, the listenership. We appreciate you guys who are um, starting to watch this on our YouTube channel. So go to Risk Media. We you, you, yeah, so how, how, right. how you yeah. doing, Yankees? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so check us out there. Subscribe to that, people. We got a lot of content Smash there. Smash the shit out of the like Smash button. Smash it. Um, so listen, this week, oh, like you know, we've been doing this pod for, what, two and a quarter years now? Um, and most of our guests over the last year have been uh, market strategists, investors, analysts, and that sort of thing. And so um, some journalists, but 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 primarily in the financial market. So Steph Rule, um, who's the host of 11th Hour and MSNBC, um, some of you guys watch MSNBC. Some of you guys would never watch MSNBC. Um, we try to kind of leave – every once in a while I kind of get a little political thing in here that – Listen, we're, we're, we're people, you know, and, and we have um, lots of thoughts and views about stuff or whatever, and sometimes it comes out, and sometimes it could be things that you guys don't agree with, um, but, you know, we hear every once in a while. For every one of you guys who sends us a text or a tweet or an email says shut up and dribble, you know, that sort of thing, we have 10 people who say, you know, like, Good on you. Okay. So we have a conversation with Stephanie Rule. Um, she's actually the least political of all of us as we're having this conversation. So if you think that you're just here um, for the markets and, and the commentary like that, and you don't want to hear maybe some views that don't agree, that you don't agree with politically, then click off now. I mean, we appreciate you being here. We're not trying to alienate anybody. And, and I know that, you know, Danny, you might not have wanted to have this conversation or you might not have, but Steph is a friend of ours. Um, she started out as a banker for years. Yeah. You did business with her. Yeah. Um, she went over to Bloomberg and became, I think, an ace financial journalist over there after no media training or anything like that. And now she's been doing general news, covering a whole host of things. And it just so happens that a lot of it's been politics. I have strong political views, okay? A lot of people who follow me on Twitter or my old Twitter handle, they know that or watch on Fast Money. We try to leave a bunch of it out here. So just thoughts here, guys, because we wanted to have this little conversation really quickly. We don't want to piss any of you guys off. We appreciate all of you. You go, guy. It's never our intention to upset anybody. And we and the conversation, and I hope you stick around and listen to it, I actually thought it was a very thoughtful conversation. Obviously, some political stuff comes up without question. I mean, the mar the the current condition that we live in is extraordinarily polarized. So by definition, if 100 people listen, I'm sure we are going to upset 50 or so of those people. But that's not our intention to upset anybody. But we hope you listen, 
and we hope you gleaned something from it I as mean, well. I mean, listen, it's important, and how it correlates to the show is the following. When you have a debt ceiling situation with a broken Washington, you better be prepared for shit hitting the fan. Mm-hmm. You better understand what that means. And to me, if you can kind of conjoin those, I mean, that's the ideal right person. But listen, uh, she's an incredible person. She's extremely bright. I mean, she replaced Brian Williams, which is very tough to do, right? Who yeah. But, and, and so anyway, point is that, She's great. She was one of our first guests that we had yeah. when we started on the tape pod. So take a listen. Well, I think it would be well, very listen, important. Well, listen, the last thing I just say about this is like we started this podcast over two years ago because we wanted to give our listeners or the people who wanted more than just sound bites on CNBC. And Guy and I love doing that. And Danny, you're coming on today. We love that medium. It's fun. It's it, Hopefully it's informative. Hopefully it can be um, you know entertaining to some or whatever. We wanted to do longer form conversations. We wanted to do the sort of conversations that we have with the people in our lives that help inform the the, you know, the things that we do in the markets or professionally in general. Steph is one of those people. She's as smart as anyone we've ever had on this show, but it did bring out some political stuff that you might not agree with. And I'll just make one last point here and then we're done. Um, you know, listen, we get things from, hey, I'm out. I didn't want to hear Nathan on this, that or whatever. You know, listen, like we, we can try to separate some of this stuff is what I'm saying. Okay. So like, I think we probably overdid that a little bit. I know guys ready to get the heck out of here. Danny, Danny, you ready to get the I'm heck ready out to go. of here? I'm going on fast money. I don't know what I'm going to say. Danny at this doesn't point. wear a t-shirt by the way, which is really upsetting. I don't today. wear a t-shirt. You I wear a t-shirt. T-shirt. Every like single day. What okay. are you talking about? All right. When like, we, when we come back, the aforementioned conversation with Stephanie rule. With CME Group's micro-sized futures and options, you can access the same transparency and liquidity of the benchmark contracts with less upfront financial commitment. Diversify your portfolio and manage your exposure with the flexibility of CME Group micro-contracts in crypto, metals, FX, energy, and equity indices. Learn more about what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com micros. iConnections is the world's largest capital introduction platform in the alternative investment industry. iConnections membership-only platform brings together the asset management community, providing allocators and managers with the opportunity to connect both physically and virtually. With an impressive network of over 4,000 allocators and 900 managers, their community oversees an astounding $48 trillion and $16 trillion in assets, respectively iConnections is also the driving force behind the alternative investment industry's most renowned in-person events. We invite you to join iConnections at their upcoming event, Salt iConnections in New York, taking place on May 20th through the 21st at the Glass House in New York City. This two-day event is packed with one-on-one cap intro meetings and content. To explore more about iConnections events and gain access to their members-only platform, Visit iConnections.io. Stephanie Rule is the host of The 11th Hour and senior business analyst for NBC News. Previously, Stephanie was managing editor and news anchor for Bloomberg Television and editor-at-large for Bloomberg News. The 11th Hour. I mean, think about you stepped in after Brian Williams, who in our world is an absolute legend. Sure is. But it's your show. I mean, it was seamless from him to you, and you've absolutely made it your show. I mean, it's not – people don't hearken for a wish Brian Williams was here. They look forward to seeing Stephanie Rule each night at 11 o'clock on MSNBC. You are too nice to me. Um, it's true. Yeah, what did I say that was false? <laughs> I will tell you there definitely are people that hearken for Brian because one of my uh, favorite twisted activities mm. – 
every single night on my way home from work, I respond to every hater on Twitter and I send them a loving response. Like for every person who's like, I hate that Jersey girl. What does she smoke? Two packs of cigarettes before she comes on. What is that? She roll, she just roll out of bed. And every one of them, I'm always like, you know what? Happy I really Halloween. miss Brian too. Yeah. He's a superstar. Have a great night. Sweet dreams. And one of three things happens. Either they're like dying of embarrassment and they DM me and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm sorry I said that. Um, they double down and they're like, double F you, blah, blah, blah. Or, and it, my secret favorite thing that happens my followers kick the shit out of them, which is like the most twisted thing. Uh, but I just think the whole like, I like this person, I hate this person is so silly and kind of like, I was so thrilled when I took this uh, this this show. I, I never thought, I didn't even fill in for Brian really. I, I never thought this is something I, I was gonna do. I, I definitely always wanted to do late night TV. Um, but I wasn't trying to change it. Like, I feel like when people get a new show, they're always like, I need a new name. It needs new branding. It needs new segments. Like your last name's rule. What are you going to call it? The like, just, he made an amazing show and had a huge following. All I wanted to do was try to keep everybody in the boat and over time, try to kind of put my stamp on it. And I mean, I don't have hardcore political ideology. Um, and so my goal was I didn't want to, I didn't want the viewers who are watching before me, Rachel Maddow and Lawrence O'Donnell, I didn't want, I didn't want to kick them out of bed. Um, but I definitely wasn't going to be able to offer them just like a hardcore perspective show because I'm the business analyst for NBC News. So I've got to thread that needle, but it's been a really good time. So People far. love the authenticity without question. And as I said, NBC gets a lot wrong. They got you completely right. And you're in the exact right spot. But it's interesting. Danny said something and I want to go to it. He said, happy Halloween which I know resonates <laughs> with you because you're a Halloween freak and I'm choosing the word freak. Speak to me about that or speak to us about Halloween that. Out. Um, I love a costume. I don't want to go to a party and ask you what you do for a living. I don't want to go to a party and ask where your kid goes to school. I don't care about any of that. As soon as somebody puts a mustache on, as soon as some, as soon as some dude trades outfits with his wife, the whole party just amps up a True. level and gets a little more fun. And I just, it's just like an awesome, fun escape, right? Everyone who like looks at my Halloween pictures and is always like, oh my gosh, your husband is such a good sport. It drives me nuts. <laughs> like, why do you think he's a good sport? The guy's a full freak. He's got what, 11 pair of gold lame tights? Like that's his jam. And I just think, I don't know. We all just live such hardcore, yeah. serious lives. Like throw on a wig, don't do your hair tonight. It's way better than some boring dinner party. We're asking someone where they're going to summer this year. <laughs> I don't care. Do you? A matter do you really of fact, care anybody no. works? But, but let's go back. Let, let's let's scale it back to um, you know nine o'clock a.m. You used to set the stage right on MSNBC for all intents and purposes. Um, you know, Morning Joe had been going on for hours and hours at that point. And again, I used to um, love going on your show because right in the middle of it was the market open, and it felt like during the, like the Trump years, like you were leading with some sort of economic story, which was totally in your wheelhouse, right? You had just come um, from Bloomberg prior to MSNBC. You were a former banker and, and the like here. And so now what is it like actually, so going from setting the stage for the day on 
cable news to one of the most watched cable news channels um, out there to actually kind of set like closing it all down at the eleventh hour. And I was just saying before we went on here, it's kind of weird. You're one of the last faces I see before I go to bed on many nights. I go here. to bed with lots of people now. It's, that, it's kind of it's kind of weird, right? Um, so like, and it's different it's energy awesome. too, right? It's just more relaxed, and you have time, right? At nine in the morning, you got lots of breaking news. You got lots of reporters you got to go to by eleven o'clock at night. You can say, here's all the things that happened today, and here's why you need to care about it. And that's it, right? And so sort of when you think about like the evening news and what it means now, the evening news gives you at 6 or 6.30 at night all the most important things. They're giving it to you in a minute. And what I can do at 11 is I can, I can use that tape from, from, from Nightly News with Lester Holt and say, like, here's what just happened in El Paso. And then after that, bring two really smart people on to just give you some perspective about it. And, and, and it, it, for me, my goal in anything that we make, how do we just try to help people get better and smarter? That's it. And I think that like where I think you guys are occupying a space, something that made me bananas when I worked at Bloomberg and when I watch TV business media now, it's just about markets. It's just about markets, markets, markets. That's it. And the problem with that is it remains like a totally important but small and exclusionary audience that only follows markets. But the truth is, everybody cares about money. Like when you think about what people vote on, it's money, right? It was Kellyanne Conway who said, people vote on what affects them, not what offends them. So we could talk all day long about cultural issues, but at the end of the day, money matters. And people people are always like, oh, I don't understand finances. I don't understand money. Don't you want people to understand it? Like we need to talk about these things more. And I think that, you guys are, are doing it in a really special way here that's more than you're getting in just the business news, covering markets. And I have the opportunity to at MS to not get too wonky because I can tell you as soon as I do. The oh, I, I've is got like, the side eye from you. If you yeah. use the word quantitative, by the time you're going to get to easing, you are rolling when your eyes. That sort of thing. I just, want, face, I, I just like, want to make one point. And, and, and to be honest with you, it's a really great perspective because on CNBC, we have to look through the, the lens of the markets, that sort of thing. And we well, try to expand it. Especially at 5 p.m. Like that's yeah. your audience. But what we're trying to do here a little bit and why Danny has been such an amazing voice for us because um, he is not trained on like TV the way Guy and I had been after being in the business a little bit, but we think of markets, we think of the economy, we think of money, we think of culture, we think of sport, we think of all these things to us. And that's what we're trying to do here, which is, you know, I don't know if you recall this, you were one of our very first guests when we launched in 2021, because I think all of us at the time, we've all known you from your prior life. We just thought like, you're the perfect, you know, like, uh, you know, like, I don't know, summation of all the stuff that we want to try to do as it relates to markets but and money. What and you're covering is for a smart, sophisticated listener who isn't necessarily a markets enthusiast, but they just care and they get branding and they get the way the world works. And I just think more media has to pull that in. Um, and I think it, things just don't have to be so black and white. Like think about how Silicon Valley Bank was covered and how traditional media in every story, they're like, I need a good guy. I need a bad guy. And like things are just more complicated than that. And I would say, like, being on TV at 11 o'clock, you've got some more time and space to kind of talk through those things. I think you do a great job because the stock market is not the economy and the economy is not the stock market. And totally. so when you're talking to people about what does it mean to them, they weren't long Silicon Valley Bank or short Silicon Valley Bank. But if the cost of credit goes up to them, it's going to matter to them. Totally. And so I think that's the most important segue that you guys are really talking about. And I think that's the most important message to get across. And that's a very difficult thing to do. And you do a great job at it. Because that's what people care about. Now, people can tune in and want to know more about the stock market. But at the end of the day, 
give them the tools to ask the right questions, do what they need to do. And I think but I love that you're that you're even saying the stock market's not the economy and vice versa. But here's the thing that always gets missed. And I think that traditional media will be like, as soon as you talk about markets, you're like, well, that's just Wall Street. And and Main Street doesn't care about Wall Street. Yeah, they do. Because do you know who's invested in the stock market? Firefighters, teachers, like pension funds. And so this whole notion that like people out there in America, like they don't actually care about the markets, they do. And this is something that that I feel like Democrats miss the mark on every damn time that like you don't have to uh, you don't have to be anti-business right you don't have to be anti the markets you should be rooting for it and if you watch the last state of the union that the president did i actually thought it was probably his best public remarks i've seen in i don't know how long and he talked about how he's pro-capitalism but he's not pro-monopolies and it's it's you know from a communication standpoint it's about threading this needle of why exactly are you hauling Howard Schultz in to, 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 to rail on him? There's lots of companies. There's lots of CEOs that, that you can take issue with. But when we're just saying, I'm just going to vilify a business for its success, I just don't think that's good for the American consumer. I don't think it's good for American culture. And just this companies aren't people. The companies are people. They're Stock run by people. Like they're, they're, they're there to run a company. They, have to, they buy okay, back. But this is exactly yeah. it. They're there to run a company. Yeah. And when we get furious with CEOs, I just want to say, what do you think that CEO's job is, right? If you want to change the way the rules work, then change the way the rules work. But like that CEO has to perform for his shareholders or she, that CEO has to get customers to buy their product. But instead, like we fold our arms, like why aren't they doing right by society? I want them to do right by society too. Don't get me wrong. But we have to have an understanding of what we've set them out to do. And I guess like talk about it a little more because like the expectations we have or or when we're so anti-anti-business and I'm like, you know, in cities across the country, especially smaller cities, they need those big businesses. They're the biggest employers. They're the biggest philanthropists. And I, I just would love to be part of a conversation that gets us to push through this. I'm pro-business or I'm anti-business. Like, how about being pro-good business, smart business? When you covered us, Deutsche Bank, and you worked with Greg Lippmann, and we were <laughs> you were right in the middle with us. I mean, I right in the middle of the big short. I don't think people realize that. You are a relationship salesperson. So you would cross over, cross asset, all the stuff. So do you miss that action a little bit in certain times? You must miss that, you know. Um, a little bit, not me per se, but um, I'm saying the action in general, uh, cast the characters, cast yeah, the characters. Yeah, 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 Wait, yeah, who yeah. played her in the movie? Nobody, nobody. Oh my I was goodness. Far too if Gosling like played Lippman in the movie, who would have oh played God. Steph Rule? I would say that scene where their Goldman Sachs, it was Goldman or Deutsche was yeah. trying to sign up people like, oh, you really want to buy a credit default swap? I mean, Steph was never pushing any of that product I, I, on, per I, se. I thought I was yeah. the stripper buying three houses in right. Orlando. No, um, Happy Halloween. That, that's the, that's the, the Atlantic so City coming I'm going to give you who's in her prime. So going back to the 90s. I know you're going to say. Julian Moore. Oh, I thought you going to say Julian Anne, Moore. Uh, who was Elvis's first wife. You're so you're wrong. Don't, we don't have to just do redheads here. And, and first of all, are we putting you in a bucket here maybe? No, no. I, I was, was thinking the Molly's Game woman would be perfect for her. Yes. Right? Jennifer Chastain. I was Jessica thinking. Jessica Chastain. Jessica. What did I say? Yeah. Jennifer. Oh, whatever. I was thinking a Bridget Fonda in her heyday oh, would have been oh a perfect guy has a huge, He has a huge, um, what was that little film, Nikita? I, no, I, I love Bridget Fonda. Remember that, that movie? She was in, I shouldn't even mention this movie because it's really not a movie, but she actually 
had a bit part in Godfather 3. Yeah, oh my God, and it's I've horrible. And I've got a feeling that's well, an important movie No, it's not an important she movie She was a journalist all. in that movie, actually. She was. Yeah. So there you go. I'm connecting Andy Garcia, the dots. there was a little yes. scene where he makes her go get yes. something. In the, in the, the fact that we're quoting By Godfather the way, lots of Halloween ideas here. Lots, I mean, lots, lots of okay. Halloween ideas. Um, moving on. Right. So, so does she I, miss the action? I, I, listen, I miss some of the extraordinary personality. In fact, there's it's a, the people. There's it's a Credit Suisse reunion tonight, actually, where I was before Deutsche. Is it at the waste management facility? Seriously. I mean, sorry. I mean, honest to God, like I think Bloomberg and NBC should be worried because everywhere I've worked, it's like the kiss of death, like Credit Suisse, Deutsche Bank. Well, Dan was an advisor to Credit Suisse for a little while. I I, I still am for a few more. You know, I have a friend, no joke, who just texted me today. He's going. His first job in the business in January of 08 was at Bear Stearns. Then he went to Credit Suisse. Then he went to Silicon Valley Bank 18 months ago. And now he's going. What's the CDS trading stuff? Uh, uh, my goodness. Right, so I, I can't r- believe what's happened to Credit Suisse, though. It, like, well, it's sad because the DLJ, sad. people remember DLJ was the best firm. It wasn't even close. Okay, but the let best me just boutique. tell you yeah. I worked at Credit Suisse when they bought DLJ. Yeah. DLJ people were so freaking arrogant of about they how were. amazing DLJ was that for at least three years, they still would answer the phone, DLJ. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, right. you cashed your checks. Yeah. You get paid a zillion dollars to sell high-yield bonds, which is not rocket science, boys and girls. Can we please just start answering the phone, Credit Suisse? And to think about it, all of those DLJ superstars, or most of them, went on to do major, major things and make serious money. I think it's so sad what's happened to Credit Suisse. That's why the cultures of these things center. J.P. Morgan Chase is another great example. When Goldman Sachs bought Spear Leads, if you go back and look, they top-ticked the market number one. And you talk about a clash of cultures, respectively. I mean... I worked at Goldman at the time, and I don't think of myself as a complete asshole, though there is asshole Ish. tendencies Ish. too. <laughs> but we saw those people like, you got to be fucking kidding me bringing these these buffoons into this firm. Anyway, I digress. At 11 o'clock, I, was, I had the good fortune to be on your show a couple of weeks ago. It was Loved great. It. In the course of 15 minutes, you had three extraordinarily different topics that – how do you decide what you're going to talk – the world is your oyster at 11 o'clock. What is your audience – Looking here, is it a recap of the day or things that, as you said earlier, affect their lives? You know, it's a little bit tricky because before I moved to this hour, everything was Trump. And I'm by no means saying, oh, it was easier for anyone else. But like at the end of the day, it was a zillion crazy things were said today. Let's unpack them. Um, So it's one of the most important things out there. But um, I do try to push it. And like to to Trump, for example, um, I'm not chasing the former president, right? On the days when there is an indictment, on the days when there is a decision, we're going to cover it. But I am not going to cover, what do you think Jack Smith had for lunch today? Do you, what, do you, what do you think he's thinking? I don't care. I do, like, I do not care. And, and so I think that, you know, it's always this balance of, you know, you want to keep your audience, but you want to introduce them to new things. And I think there's a really big opportunity to cover some cultural things, but actually cover them with some some thoughtful experts, okay? Instead, a lot of times when hot topics, cultural issues get covered, I just think they get covered in like the most stereotypical way. Like, you know what the people are gonna say and they're just so tired, but what have you actually tried to cover some of these thornier issues with a level of of respect and open-mindedness that said, like, you know what, let's try to figure this out at the end, right? So, so like, trans issues, for example. Like, for me, it's unclear to me why lawmakers or, 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 or why Republicans make so much hay 
about trans issues in this country. And, and I, I, I consider myself an ally. I don't consider myself an advocate. However, to me, you know, it's a much bigger issue impacting millions of kids in this country. Loss of learning during COVID. The fact that schools in our inner cities blow. The fact that school budgets get voted down across this country. If you're worried about gun violence in this country, if you're worried about economic mobility, we need to talk about education in our poorest communities. So, so it's not that, 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 that I, I just think like we hop on all these like cancel culture issues. And I think half of them are bullshit made up things that are not relevant enough to, to enough people in this country. And we shouldn't buy into it. I could not agree with you more. I mean, the relevance that you speak of, there's clearly an audience that wants to hear that. Many of these people want to hear it 12 hours a day on a loop, effectively, on a certain network. So it's resonating with somebody. But it's interesting, stylistically, you touched on something. Rachel Maddow, I watch, I think she's probably the most prepared person I've ever seen on television. It's extraordinary. It really is. It's amazing. I know that you prepare as well. I watched it, so I know you're extraordinarily prepared, but you don't have necessarily prepared remarks. So your show is organic. So speak to that, trying to marry the the preparedness with the organic nature of what your show allows you to do. I don't consider myself, I'm not uh, an expert in politics. I think I'm an educated, curious person who, like, you know, we start our show and I say, let's get smarter. I'm not going to make my audience smarter. Rachel Maddow is. Rachel Maddow is giving is giving her viewers a master class in whatever content she is speaking of that night. I'm not the expert. I am not here to give you a monologue. I'm not here to give you uh, my viewpoint or a history lesson. I'm here to say there's a really important thing happening in the world. You either know about it and you want to know more about it. You don't know about it, and I think you should. And I'm going to bring some people on who are going to educate us. And I, my hope is that I'm asking the questions that you're screaming at watching your TV at home. And if my questions are, what, huh, that doesn't make sense. Can you say that again? That's okay. I mean, like, when we go through the show every night, I'm like, everything we cover, you should feel like if we were talking at a bar those would be your questions or those would be our answers. Because again, like it's 11 o'clock at night. Nobody needs their brain to hurt. I, don't, I end my show every night with something positive because I don't want, I don't want to contribute to people going to bed pissed off. And I want it to be a good time. So going back to, you know, what Danny just mentioned about your time, you know, in banking and you were literally had a front row seat as we all did during the financial crisis. I mean, do you have like a little scar tissue when it comes to these issues? Because back then, you know, it, it's kind of funny. I mean, like we just went through COVID and people had health concerns, but they also had financial concerns. And, you know, back then it was like a lot of stuff that wasn't affecting Main Street until it was all of a sudden. Right. And so when you were kind of stacking your show and thinking about the topics that you wanted to cover in March, right? As these banks were failing, like what was the, did, did, were you getting like the twitch back a little bit? Like, did you have to kind of like suppress some of those feelings yes, from back the, in the day a I little bit? I would say the thing that like made me the, the most worked up um, took me back to the financial crisis as we had all these lawmakers who are clamoring to come on TV and scream about Silicon Valley Bank and scream about who's going to go to jail and blah, blah, blah. You know what infuriated me about that? No one's going to go to jail because they didn't break any rules. And, and that's where we need to point the finger back at lawmakers. When you think about Occupy Wall Street, when you think about the backlash after the financial crisis, screaming and yelling, why didn't any bankers go to jail? And you would actually watch lawmakers scream that. It drove me nuts because, hey, boys and girls, you set the rules, right? Like, wh what are you expecting? And so now when we're sitting here going, 
who is going to go to jail? Most likely no one. Did they misbehave? Did they make stupid decisions? Sure. But if you want them to behave in a different way, make the rules different. So it's, it blows my mind when Congress is like, we're going to get them. No, guys, you need to set different rules or better rules or smarter rules. Perfect segue, because I was going to talk about Wall Street to K Street. There's always that relationship. You know, the lobby is the most powerful lobby, obviously, in the world. But this trading going on by people in Congress— Oh, I, my God. And by the way, it's on. Let me I say something. Even, I can't, I can't even, even. I can't even. I had to read this article. I had to read this article twice. Hold on. I had to read this article in the journal twice. So upstate House member, right? Um, I'm going to butcher her name. Nicole, Nicole Maliotokis. Okay. She literally was buying stock in NYCB in the days leading up to the rescue of Signature Bank. She's on the House and Ways Committee. And Blumenauer was doing the same thing. No, Blumenauer, Earl Blumenauer, uh, uh, was, uh, uh, was, was trading stocks well. He didn't do so well. He bought Civ B the day before it was halted and went to zero. So okay, we won't. This, but this is, it's, it's unbelievable. This, in a nutshell, is why the American people don't trust Congress, hate Congress. This issue makes me bananas. And by the way, it is bipartisan bad oh, behavior. Pelosi's and so, the, so, I mean, but, but also, yeah. even if you, the thing is when they're like, well, this congressperson's in trouble because they didn't report that trade, even if they did report it. Okay, or, how, about or the the, how about the Fed governors? The, I mean, the punishment right. that they get for not reporting is like, I'm gonna give you a slap on the wrist. I'm gonna, I'm gonna fine you $200 for the 10 million bucks you just banked. The fact that there are, the amount of information it's these crazy. people have, if you if you ran a publicly traded company, how tight you have to be, how careful you have to be with information, with your behavior, with your family's behavior. These Congress people, it was 75 Congress people on both sides of the aisle that were trading stocks directly related to the pandemic before they while well, they had information that no one else did. Right. Think about yeah. cannabis. Think about all of these industries that they know so much about. And they can trade those stocks. And somehow Nancy Pelosi doesn't bring it to a vote. Now, here we are. We've got we've got a new House speaker. Kevin McCarthy said, when I become House speaker, we're going to change this. No, they're not. And one of the reasons is because this story, I feel like Don Quixote shouting at windmills. I'm the only yeah. one who talks about this yeah. on TV. Yeah. And I talk about it incessantly. And it's it doesn't get that much coverage. And so Congress just just waits it out. They wait it out until we stop paying attention. And then I just come back waving a little flag going, you know, or Kate Kelly reports on it all the time. I think it is, so, I'd love to say that it's criminal, what, what Congress does, but it's not. It's not. It's legal. Well, think of, Danny just mentioned Eric Rosengrenz. I think he was the Boston Fed. Yeah. Robert Kaplan. Yeah, Dallas. The Dallas Fed. Yeah. September of 21. They're trading stocks into what they know they, they were, were about to do. They were trading ETFs on it's, U.S. Treasuries, the thing that they just committed to buying $100 billion a month for, and then they did it for years. You know, no, one cares in a, no one cares in a bull market, sorry. In a bear market, tide goes out, people want, people want butts. I want some butts. Like, that's when it will happen. But, but also, it's, a, it's if someone on the other side got hurt. Right. So if you think about after the financial crisis and the housing bubble, it was like, well, somebody on this side has to pay because somebody got hurt. Nobody is theoretically getting hurt as Congress is enriching itself. So they're just letting it roll. It is so awful. It is outrageous. We actually talked about it on Fast Money earlier this week. And it, you find yourself exercised. But to your point, you're just screaming at windmills. I mean, it is a Don Quixote thing without question. Let me ask you this because I'm fascinated. You obviously have views. Sometimes you insert your views. Other times you sort of let the story speak for itself. How do you sort of navigate that? Because it's difficult at times. 
Um, it's difficult. So I think that, you know, there you are can times have a bias. when you, you okay. get something happens, you're pissed off. Yes. How do you, sometimes you got to pull in those reins. hundred percent. Other times you have to sort of let that, that Mustang run. So in, in cable, you definitely have a little bit more latitude and, and space, I guess. But my ire when I'm fired up, um, is not partisan. So this is a perfect example of a story of the things I get really angry about are like, this is just bad behavior, like shitty government oversight. The fact that still the amount of fraud that went down with all of that COVID money, like, like, yes, the Biden administration is doing something about it. They're trying to pull it in. But like, we all remember, right, when the CARES Act was signed, when PPP, when that money was first going out, we all went on TV, were like, um, this shit's going to get really messy. Like to get a PPP loan, all you have to do is write your first name and your address <laughs> and they send you a check. And, and the fact that like they didn't even put an oversight committee together at the time, like we all saw that coming. So, so that's an example. I think it's fine to get fired up and express your views about things that are just wrong. Right. But those aren't political. Right. Like I, 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 I don't care about um, what Donald Trump looks like. I don't care about his relationship with his spouse. I, I, I don't care. Like when, when, when fringe politicians are talking about Jewish lasers, like, like all that to me is like silly noise. But, you know, earlier this year, I had Lauren Boebert, who's a, who's a known conspiracy theorist on TV. And normally I would not put her on television, especially people that, that aren't even on committees that aren't even making decisions. But it was right when the Kevin McCarthy vote was going on. They were between like the sixth and seventh vote. And she was one of the, five people that was stopping the government from functioning. So I think in those instances, yeah, stuff. you need to bring those people on. So I think it's okay to, 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 to voice a view when it's about calling out bullshit, but that's different from a political ideology. How do you do, you know, I first met you, um, as I meet a lot of people, you were a parent of a kid, right? Like, so I met you at school. Our kids were in the same class. I look at you and you're a peer. I'm a little bit older than you, but like, you know, we could be, <laughs> we could be dining at the same places. Our kids could be doing the same stuff. So you are like, you are this person though, that commands a big audience. And I have seen you on, this is going back to some of these news stories on the nights. We're just again and again, these mass shootings. And you are a mom Crying before. My face. Or <laughs> you are a, a news anchor, and and how do you how do you deal with that? Because you know it's interesting because Guy and I will go on Fast Money on the day of you know the fifth mass shooting shooting of the month, and we don't even cover it right because that's not what we're there to do. If they want that, then they go to MSNBC, and we don't talk about these sorts of things. How do you deal with that? I mean, like like that's something that I, every once in a while we've gotten tagged. You remember that mass shooting in, the, in Paris, um, and it happened yep, right yep. during our show, and they're cutting to us. You know what I mean? What's Hopefully, I, I think at the time, Melissa was like hanging on and bringing in people from MSNBC or NBC News. But we had a comment on that. We are not equipped to do that. How do you do that? And it seems like once a week, you have to deal with something that if you went home and had to talk to your kids about, you might have a really serious and sad conversation about. So I would say two things. Um, you know, I my background is your background. I don't have a background in journalism. So all I can do is be myself. Right. I got into TV when I was 36. Right. Like I look like this. I sound like this. I sit like this. Like I can't change it. I, I am. I, it's like I I took over for what I think Brian Williams is one of the greatest TV anchors of our time. I'm not going to be that person. But what I can be um, is an empathetic human. What I can be is somebody who gives a shit. And I'm desperately sad 
that there are kids and teenagers protesting because they're saying they're afraid to go to school. And so I think if we cover these stories, and again, I'm not going to cover them as an expert because I'm not one, so I'm never going to try to be one. I'm going to just try to bring on the smartest people I know. And I know that I'm doing this job because I really care. And I want, I think I'm a really blessed person. And I want to give my kids a world that's better than the world that I got. And I'm so lucky to have this seat. And I don't have great expertise in a lot of things, but I know the, the power of the seat that I'm in. I'm going to bring on the best people I know to help educate our audience. As far as like me being a mom, something that I really regretted, um, there was a long period during Trump I was so burnt out. I was just never, ever talking about work or politics at home. And then I would notice my sons who listen to, you know, the, the Tucker, Joe Rogan's Tucker and, and the, they're not, not Tucker. I'm, I'm and I go in there. No, but you know what I mean? Like my 16 year old son loves Joe Rogan. Like they love barstool sports. They're 16 year old boys. Um, and they were, they just, I, I would hear them say things in my house that were just factually incorrect all the time. And I'm like, man, like I'm to blame because I'm not even talking about this with my own kids. And so it was this week last year, my oldest son and I um, went and volunteered in, in Ukraine and Poland for a week. Wow. And then my middle son and I, right after the hurricane in Fort Myers, went down and did Team Rubicon. And I think as a parent, Telling your kids about the news that's happening or telling your kids about your job, they don't want to hear it. Like they don't need to go to science or social studies for another hour. But because we have access or experiences that we can share with our kids, bringing your kids to be involved in that, right? Like if I said to my kids, I really want you to care about climate, they'd be like, great. They're not going to, but like, I just sent my oldest son to do global leadership adventures, which is like Peace Corps for teens in Costa Rica. If you get your kids to live lifestyles where they care about the planet, then they will care about climate. They will care about conservation because they love surfing or they love sailing. So rather than just keeping like forcing news down my kids' throats, I shouldn't avoid news. I shouldn't lecture it to them. I got to figure out ways for my kids to experience it so they're going to care. Yeah, and you don't want to put all those fears into them. You want them no. to live their life. Every generation, I feel like this generation's had multiple stuff between COVID now and all the other stuff that's been going on here. But I got to go back to get you angry again because we left <laughs> because we left before I could say two things. One is, I always say this, and now you're in media, so maybe it's it's totally suppressed. But the Barry Diller insider trading on Activision, have you even looked at that recently? Do you remember without Alex von Furstenberg, David Geffen, and Barry Diller bought call options on Activision? Okay, it was 14 months ago. Okay. You can't find a story on it, okay? It doesn't exist. That insider trade was one of the most obvious, to me at least. Maybe we'll be proven innocent. I'm not claiming that he's guilty, but it was crazy. Another thing that's out there, right? But let's go back to the debt ceiling because you talked about Boebert and some of the crazies that are out there. That, And I believe you're going to be talking about the debt ceiling on your show in probably about three to four weeks from now. And you're going to say, how does it affect you? What things are going to be shut down? What services are going to be shut? Because I feel like something, we are going to get to a breaking point. There is no question okay, in my mind. I can't figure Let's, out what's happening yeah. here because there is no way Mitch McConnell's phone is not ringing off the hook from giant, mega-rich GOP donors saying, what the hell is happening here? And, and if there's one thing you could say about Mitch McConnell, whether you like his politics or you don't, he is a strategic beast, mm -hmm. okay? Like, he knows how to play politics, 
maybe better than almost anyone I can think of. And he's got the, the guy's got ice in his veins that I'm like, how is he sitting here and watching this? And I think the scary thing happening on the debt ceiling at different times in history, you could agree with somebody's politics or disagree, but you now have people in the house that I think truly have absolutely zero understanding of the consequences of their actions. And that is scary to me. And it harkens back to, to when we first knew Trump as a politician, we were first hearing about Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon, who's an extraordinarily smart guy. Steve Bannon, who has said, I just want to blow the whole thing up. They shut the government right? down. Right, yeah. like Steve Bannon sits back and laughs about that. He His goal has always been, let's just blow up the system. Now, I know that's not what Mitch McConnell wants to do. I know that's not what John Cornyn wants to do. So I'm looking at these people going, Guys, June is around the corner. What are you going to do here? And it's going to be really tricky for Kevin McCarthy. Who knows better? But who knows what he's agreed to, to the Matt Gates and Jim Jordan and Marjorie Taylor Greens of the world. This is going to be extraordinarily scary. And I'm wondering, who are the American people going to blame? Are they going to know uh, it was Republicans that just pushed us off a cliff? Or are they going to go... Who is the president that, at that time and, and blame Joe Biden, right? We keep thinking, oh, they're going to know it was Republicans. I don't know that they're going to know that, right? When you ask people on the street, you know, name the Speaker of the House, name the Vice President. Things are dicey. They don't really know the answer that often. I'm mega scared about this. This is going to make the bank, this banking crisis, whatever you want to call it, crisis look, of confidence. Look, like, look like nothing relative to that because literally the system could— now, not to scare people, but it's really going to have massive ramifications. If it happens. Listen, it I happens. think there's a, an outside chance yeah. um, they, they find a way. Like a, they, maybe two weeks ago it was brought up. It had been floated by Republicans. And it's something that Democrats could get on board, permitting reform. And we need permitting reform in a big way, especially if you want to get all this infrastructure stuff done. We need permitting reform in this country. Like, it's crazy. Maybe that's something they're going to find a middle ground on. But I find extraordinarily scary. You are talking about lawmakers who are now super powerful, right? Like when people make fun of Marjorie Taylor Greene um, calling it a peach tree dish or, or you know, just it, it, that's not funny when you think about the power. These well, to people your point, have. she has more power than Speaker McCarthy because one member of his caucus could call a no confidence vote. And you think about it, I actually, Danny, you bring up a great point. The political ramifications of what happens in the debt ceiling are huge. If you think about what you just said, Steph, is who will people blame? You know, President Biden has not even declared that he's running again yet. And people were expecting that to happen by now. Right. So, well, understood. But like the fact that he hasn't done that, you think about McConnell doesn't have the gavel. Right. By one vote. Right. McCarthy has the gavel by one vote. And we don't know what the Republican field looks like. So this I think this is going to be um, like an atom bomb for the political for 2024, like this thing. And so that's putting a political spin on it. But the financial one. And I think it's really interesting stuff like we just talked about when you were in the moment with the SVB stuff, what is the thing that you want your viewers to understand? Because they're not going to get in the nuts and bolts of, of the, you know, like who's backstopping what, is it a bailout, all that sort of stuff. And to Danny's point, what does the debt ceiling, if we were to trip it and have our debt downgrade, what does it mean to Main Street, I guess? It's like in, in your experience as a financial reporter, but also as a banker, what are the things that you think are going to be important for people to understand and to lead up to that? Again, everything really goes back to 
and you know, people, their, their eyes haze over the cost of credit. And you have to find more basic ways to explain that, right? Because even when you talk about, uh, right, I'll go on and be like, here are the inflation numbers, or, you know, here's what's happening with interest rates. People like hear it and they don't. Or, or think about how difficult it is to explain to an audience, okay, rates are going up where we want to raise rates to try to slow the economy. And then when the economy starts to slow, people are freaking out, like, like even explaining the jobs number, right? So I remember last year when we were talking about inflation, it was like, it was like kind of the early days of it. And it's when um, average household savings was up a ton in this country. And I went on the Today Show on, on a Sunday and I was talking about it. And I said, you know what, Willie, one of the dirty little secrets about inflation is Prices are what we're willing to pay. And so there's an awful lot of people in the country who might not like the higher prices, but they can afford them. And as long as we're willing to pay those prices, there's no reason for a restaurant to lower the price of his hamburger, okay? Like, I'm not giving an opinion. That's a fact. If you ran a, if you ran a pizzeria- Economics 101. If you ran a yeah. pizzeria and now you can charge 30 bucks for a pie- why would you not, why would you lower your price to 20? So I say this on the Today Show. I got lit up like an <laughs> effing Christmas tree. Okay, like Fox News had me on a loop for the week of like Marie Antoinette, let them eat cake. She's saying the country is so rich, we can afford inflation. Now, but here's the funny thing. If I would have said that same thing, and if I would have said it on Fox News, then you would have had left-wing media going, yep. she doesn't even care about the common man. How about the fact that we have 330 million people in this country? Our, our economy is not good or bad. It's complicated. Yeah. And, and, and the one thing COVID did, it made the rich richer and it made the poor poorer. Think about how little money you spent during COVID because there was nothing to spend on. And we could bitch and moan that hotels cost so much more money last summer and flights cost more money. But guess what? Anybody you knew was desperate to go on vacation because they hadn't. And so sometimes when you're just telling the actual truth, it's what people don't want to hear. But my feeling is I'd rather go down for, for telling the truth and for, or I'd rather go down for, I don't want the mistake all of us made in 2016, we allowed an endless stream of Trump surrogates to come on TV and push lies every single day. And Hindsight, of course, is 2020. And now we're obviously going to cover the former president, but just bringing on a spokesperson on TV to battle it out with them and have a fight. Like, why? Why are we going to give airtime to known nonsense? It's like we didn't air the other night when Trump, the day Trump got indicted and then he went back down to Mar-a-Lago and gave a speech that was 100 percent lies. We did not air that. And I think making moves like that matter. And if you have to tell people the truth about the economy or explain things and people are pissed, let them be pissed. Get fired for that. What do you think? Because I watched it and you brought her up. 60 Minutes obviously did a pretty extensive piece with Marjorie Taylor Greene. And you mentioned her, you know, gazpacho police is another one of her <laughs> all time favorites. But she said something during that interview that really resonated with me. She said when she speaks to her colleagues, they're all saying, their constituents are saying, what does Marjorie think about it? Are you voting with Marjorie? And if you think about that, that speaks to where we are. The fact that that's the position that she finds herself in. So I guess my question, and this is your opinion, what are your thoughts about a 60 Minutes putting an MTG on a platform that they know is going to get a lot of eyeballs, it creates a tremendous platform for her. You know, it's a really tricky thing. It is tricky, yeah. 
she is a hugely powerful person. And so it's funny because all sorts of, of kind of centrist, I, I believe the majority of the country is centrist, mm -hmm. but all sorts of even centrist Republicans that we know in New York City, they don't like to talk about Marjorie Taylor Greene. They don't like to talk about Matt Gates. They don't like to talk about Jim Jordan. I kind of feel like, you know what? These are the people you voted into leadership. Put them on the big stage. Now, when Marjorie Taylor Greene had absolutely no committee assignments, I, there, for me, there's nothing to say to her. There's nothing she has to say that matters. Now, she has huge influence in her party. Whether or not I thought it was a good interview or a bad interview, who knows, right? Like, th I don't think that's for me to judge. But I think should that person be on television? Hell yeah. She has an enormous amount of influence. And if she makes a fool of herself on TV or if she or if she spreads lies, the American people should see that. What's interesting, you just said something, whether or not she makes a fool out of herself, you could put the country in a room collectively and let everybody watch it at the same time. Half the people will say, oh, my God, she's dumber than fucking dirt. And the other half will say, oh, my God, she's the most enlightened person of all no time. Way. I don't think that. Well, I, not half. It, I, I don't think I, that. I'd like listen, to think you're if right. You go, if you go to those places where you've got some of the most extreme elected officials, you're going to find the same thing. Severely gerrymandered districts. OK, what's one of the, the things that we what one of our takeaways with this horrible shooting in Nashville a week ago? Holy shit, all of us in the last few years are going, oh my gosh, Nashville is like the most cosmopolitan place. All these people are like, we're getting a house in Nashville. We just bought it, whatever that place is in Tennessee, Asheville now. All That's these people, going, we're yeah. buying a vacation house there. Like Vanderbilt is now harder to get into than Duke. And everyone's thinking like, gosh, it's, and then all of a sudden you're like, I'm sorry, who makes the rules there? Like, in, in, like you're quickly reminded, oh, this is the state where the Ku Klux Klan was born, right? One of those, one of those two lawmakers who got expelled and now reinstated had to sit through a, a, a committee meeting a few weeks ago where someone tried to bring back the idea of lynching. And so we can sit here in New York and be like, those things don't happen. They do. Yeah. Well, I'll just say one thing, you know, MTG was up here in New York, um, you know, when Trump was at rain the other day and she left because she said it was repulsive. It was disgusting and this and whatever. New York is obviously, and I've lived here for 25 years, you guys have all, it's one of the most racially diverse and I think, you know, kind of open sort of places and I love it. I'm never leaving. I think the guy's point, I think what he's trying to say here, it, it, like not trying to say, I don't mean to explain to our audience what you're saying here, but like at the end of the day, there is this primary voter and the Republican party who are literally locked into some of the worst ideas that, to your point, that we hopefully, we fought a civil war over to get rid of, you know, almost 200 years ago, when you but think about those it. those people are also living in New Jersey, and they're living on Long Island. And part of it is, is um, we're not, and I'm, we're not talking to them. And we have to, right, like, they do get tangled well, we up. we talk to them, you know, so this, I'm telling you, this interview right here, we are going to get so much hate mail why? and so much tweets because we have an audience that wants us to just shut up and dribble and talk stocks and talk about the markets and but talk about what? the economy. If you say to that audience, you know what, guys, I love you. I'm not trying to jump the shark. I want to help you make money, but I want you to make money living in a town and in a community that's awesome. I want you to not tell your neighbor to go fuck themselves. Well, they don't care. I but, mean, but like they saying, fundamentally you, just don't if care. You, if you can approach that hater and not hate on them back, if you can say to that, right, my mother and father in New Jersey, uh, they may have different political views than lots of other people, but I love them. 
And and people are rattled by the fact right. that the country is changing geographically, right? And, and you know, we, think about the border, okay? Here's a perfect example. Whether you want to call the border a crisis or a problem, it is definitively a problem, okay? If you lived in El Paso, okay, and you said, you know what, my, my town is being overrun, my, my kids' schools now have 500 extra kids, like— you have to just approach all of but these we things approach from them a really, practical place. But we approach place. them really differently. So Donald Trump in June of 2015 came down his golden escalator and called we he called it an invasion by rapists and criminals. Uh -huh. And I think the way the Democrats approach these topics are a bit with empathy. They think about the human element of it. I think that's true. Okay, okay, okay for Let's the most part. Let's start approaching them with practicality. We have a giant labor shortage in this country. We cannot find anyone to fill lots of our lowest wage jobs. Maybe if this administration or the former administration could work with Congress, could bring business leaders in and say, how are we going to solve for this? If these people are coming to this country, if we're no longer supporting the Northern Triangle, let's actually have them as taxpayers. Let's have them making money and let's have them working in our system instead of what we have, but nobody's solving for anything. Instead, you know, Republicans have us scared out of our minds about this invasion and Democrats have us panic that we're not being compassionate. How about we be practical? I think it comes down to education and I think you're dealing with ignorance. And so being a grandson of Holocaust survivors and my grandmother up until she passed away two years ago, teaching, talking in churches, synagogues, that's a lost, that's what I'm scared that gets lost from the South, South Carolina. My you know, grandfather, Max Heller became mayor of South Carolina. It's an incredible story as an immigrant from Vienna that escaped. So the, the answer is we so have to keep going there you and keep, you shouldn't exactly. have enemies. So the thing is, I just feel like these people, you give them too much credit. It, they just don't know the difference. I mean, they're just ignorant. And so when Marjorie, Marjorie Taylor Greene, MTG, which when you keep Those saying people, MTG, not, not the voters, no, no, no. But when you keep people, saying, yeah. I'm thinking yeah. it's magic, which is the mortgage insurer MTG. <laughs> like, cause I'm so, I'm like, Dude. I can't believe they haven't changed Dude. their, <laughs> I, I can't believe they haven't changed their, their, their Stop, stock symbol yet. No, but I want to bring it back to to what you do and the passion that you have. And since we were, since I knew you 10 years ago, 12 years ago, we were together two years ago, we haven't spent any time together in the last few years, but your passion and how you've kind of rounded out and found the place where you really belong in the way that you're talking now. You weren't talking like this two years ago in terms of how comfortable you are with being who you are. And you said it yourself about 20 minutes ago. You're done being, you're just going to say what you want to say because you want to help people and you're not, and you'll deal with it. And that attitude of that, and I'm probably to blame I should have that attitude on things and not fear retribution or fear something happening because I want to say what I want but to if say. And I feel coming from a yeah. good place, right? And, yeah, it, and no, if your audience trusts you, right? Yeah. So one day, Quest Love and I did a podcast together. And Name he and dropper. I, but Quest and yeah. I are great. And, and you can have these difficult conversations if you respect the other person and you care about them. And I said to him, um, I need you to help me with the N word. I've got two sons who love rap music. And me just saying it's banned, never say it, and not actually having an explanation. I need a good, I, I want you to help me do this, right? You can have that conversation. Now, are there some people like 70 rule, you should never even bring it up, blah, blah, blah. Sure. But my point is, if we're going to have solutions, let's have constructive ones. And here's the craziest thing. I thought Quest did the most unbelievable job. I saved the tape, and we never aired it. Do you know why? Because we had just come off a scandal with someone doing something around race and blah, blah, blah. So it never made so, – so, so I think there are really important conversations to have that piss people off, but they shouldn't. Because if, if, if 
when, when Lauren Boebert came on TV with me, we didn't get in a huge screaming fight. We didn't talk about our conspiracy theories. We talked about Kevin McCarthy. That was it. And I just think if you can treat that neighbor, if those people who are saying shut up and dribble and you actually spoke to them and said, you know what? I am going to talk stocks in the second half of this, but you know what? But right now, just stay with me. Hold hands with me. Let's do this for five minutes. I think it's going to make a difference. And if it doesn't, then great. We'll all go home and do something else for a living. Fuck early, it. early 1900s, <laughs> World War One. I. I don't know if you saw the last iteration. I didn't go to Georgetown like you. I don't of know. All <laughs> Quiet on the Western Front, but it's a remarkable. I've heard. I've heard. Book and this movie was. I mentioned it because it's tre it's trench warfare. Both sides. Either side are dug in. They're dug into their trenches. They've fortified their trenches. Bombs come across from one side. Bombs come Christmas Eve, maybe they'll all come out of their trenches and celebrate together. And then they're back in their trenches. That's the United States right now. That's how polarized we are. So how do you get people out of their trenches and have the conversation that you want to have? I don't believe we are. Oh, I absolutely do. I don't do. believe we are. Listen, I think that... Um, what happened to Hopeful? Yeah, like, like, come on. I, that's yeah. the thing. Like, I yeah. just don't believe we're that dug in and that divided, right? Like, I think that works for politicians. I think it works for the media. It works for scaring people, right? So Fox News has brilliantly created grievance media, okay? We're going to get on TV every night. We're going to scare the hell out of you, and we're going to tell you a lot of things that aren't true. So am I going to go on TV and do the opposite? No. I'm going to go on TV, and hopefully every night— pull a few more viewers, and I'm going to say, you know what? I'm just going to tell you the truth, right? Like, we have a segment we say, for fact's sake, the truth matters, but only if you hear it. And so all we can do is love thy neighbor, actually give a shit about everybody out there. And when you think about people who are dug in and pissed, you have to dig into why they're pissed. Because the truth is that original grievance is probably justified, and I think if you care about humanity, right? When you think about all of these school shootings, I hope we're spending a little bit of our time thinking about that shooter and what got that shooter to that place. Because before they woke up that day and pulled that AR-15 out from under their bed or bought it, I guarantee that for the six years prior, that young person was tortured and isolated and treated horribly. And I just think if we approached everything with just like a shred of more thoughtfulness, you can still call out bullshit. But I just believe that at the end of the day, people are good. Well, I'm pissed. I mean, I listen, I think reproductive rights and guns are the things that uh, people on the left should be really pissed off about. And, and we cannot find middle ground on that. And people are dying every day on both of those issues. So to me, I just I, I think I'm pushing back a little bit because I disagree. I'm more in guys camp. I am super pissed off. And let me tell you who else. I mean, there is a block of voters in this country and the demographics are shifting. And that's the thing that I think on the on the right that people are very worried about, okay, that demographic shift. And when you think about this abortion topic and what it did in the last two elections, I mean, and what the potential for, for the, just the, the whole, you know, gun issue is, it's not going to be pretty in the next 10 years for Republicans. Okay, and but I this really is why I don't know that you should be so pissed, right? If you talk to young voters 10 months ago about Joe Biden, they were not excited about him. They were like, you know, I mean, they weren't necessarily saying Sleepy Joe, but they certainly weren't enthused to go vote. Roe versus Wade being overturned, they turned out in droves. And for the first time, the way that Republicans really have cornered the market in 
evangelical voters are a dependable block of voters that show up in droves, just like uh, Second Amendment enthusiasts show up in droves. What, what the Republicans may have just created on the Democrat side with young voters is for the first time, you've always had young people like fired up and they're protesting, but they weren't necessarily showing up to vote. When you talk about these two issues, they're about protecting one's health, protecting their body. Guns and abortion could have millions of young people showing up to vote. And that will be Republicans' worst nightmare. Because I'm like, yo, guys, you're like, you're like the new Catholic church. You got no game plan for the next generation. What are you doing to recruit young people? And, and the only thing, the only young people that they are recruiting are this aggrieved young white male, you're not going to get into college because those colleges only care about diversity. And that is a small amount of people. And that aggrieved young male, isn't that dependent? He might be really pissed about things, but he's not rushing to go vote. People, young people are registering to vote every single day because they could lose the right to have access to abortion. That's crazy to me. You said you'd leave your show on a high note. Leave us on a high note. What are you all excited about for the remainder of this year? The weather in New York City today. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. The weather in New York City Well, first City of all, today. I think your producer should thank us here because we got you all fired up for your 11th hour tonight, man. This was great. I mean, like, we could we could go deep on all the markets and the economy and all the other stuff. But, but I know, I know. Go well, we brought up a mortgage insurance. That's, that's the, a good that, thing. Yeah, we did, yeah, Danny, because yeah, they never leave your yeah, head, exactly, do they? Exactly. Well, listen, Steph Rule, it's been uh, amazing to have you here. We really appreciate you coming and maybe you'll come back more often. Anytime. Thanks again to our presenting sponsors, CME Group, iConnections, and FactSet. If you like what you heard, make sure you hit follow and leave us a review. It helps other people find the show, and we also want to hear from you. Email us at contact at riskreversal.com. Derivatives are not suitable for all investors and involve the risk of losing more than the amount originally deposited and any profit you might have made. This communication is not a recommendation or offer to buy, sell, or retain any specific investment or service.